Well, good morning. Good morning. Does anyone in here know what a millennial is? Anybody? Sort of? Kind of? Yeah? I don't. I don't really know. Maybe that's because I am one. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I was going to start off this morning with some millennial jokes. So I hopped on Google and I typed it in oh. and I read a bunch oh. of them. I only laughed at like two. Some of them I didn't get, and some of them were just not that funny. And maybe it's because I don't know what a millennial is, or I am one. I don't know. I don't know. They live in their parents' basement. They work tech jobs. I'm not really sure, right? I don't think anybody is really sure. What? You... I got it. It wasn't a joke. I was just... <laughs> see? See my dilemma? This is why I decided not to start out with millennial jokes. I felt like nobody would know what I'm talking about. But... There is one group of people that if I bring up, we're all on the same page. Everybody in here knows what a redneck is, right? We all do. Everybody knows. Some of you have some redneck tendencies, I'm sure. You've probably made jokes about it. I say millennial and we're kind of like, ah, but rednecks like, oh yeah, I know some of those people. That's my uncle or my dad or yeah, right? Jeff Foxworthy was big when I was in junior high and he was a genius, He's a genius. He made a whole brand over talking about rednecks, and you probably can know where I'm going here for a little bit. You might be a redneck if. You might be a redneck if you list beginner's luck uh, as a skill on a job application. <laughs> beginner's luck, uh, put it down, right? You might be a redneck if the biggest sign on your place of business says minnows. <laughs> that's, that's true. You might be a redneck if you made up your social security number. What's your social security number? Uh, seven? I like seven, right? You're a redneck if you made up your social security number, for sure. You might be a redneck if your family business requires a lookout. Honey, hide the shine! The fuzz is coming! <laughs> you might be a redneck if you wake up early, but you still get to work late. That also might make you a millennial, actually. A redneck millennial, that's a thing, right? Or this next one, this next one would definitely make you a redneck, for sure. If you're late to work because the car in front of you hit a deer. <laughs> you have to tag, bag, and freeze that baby, right? That's venison. <laughs> Looking at you, Wes. <laughs> I'm almost positive that he has done that. I'm pretty sure I've eaten venison that was slayed by deer, or slayed by car. Right? You don't, you don't have to waste a bullet. You don't have to tenderize the meat. That baby's already nice and banged up for you. You're definitely a redneck. Here's another indication you might be a redneck. If you won't work on Garth's birthday. Garth Brooks, right? He's a national hero. I'm calling in sick. You're a redneck. And last but not least, you might be a redneck if your financial planner told you to buy lotto tickets. <laughs> Can't play if you don't win, or can't win if you don't play, right? Can't win if you don't play. It's true. If you agree with that statement, please come to our budgeting classes that we're having. We can help you. We can help you. Okay, redneck jokes. They're funny. Why in the world are we talking about redneck jokes at church? Well, one, because they are funny. They're funny, and the subject we're going to talk about this morning is kind of heavy. So I wanted to start a little light. I want to start a little light this morning, but also, in the same way that we're confused about what it means to be a millennial, and everybody kind of gets what it underst understands what it, what it looks like to be a redneck, in the same way, 
Some of us sometimes are confused about what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian. And that's a really, really big deal. Because if we, if we don't understand what it means to be a Christian, if we don't understand the gospel and that we're saved by faith through Jesus Christ and the grace that he gives us, if we get mixed up on that, then we could be in danger of not being in Christ, of not having salvation. And when we die, we might be in for a surprise. And so the message that, or the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. As Wes said, it's, it's one of the more harsh ones we're going to look at. It's kind of heavy. And that's why I wanted to start, about, start a little lighter this morning. But the point Jesus is trying to make to the church at Sardis is that while the people of Sardis think that they are Christians, and they even look like Christians from an outside perspective, they actually are spiritually dead. They have a fake faith, a faith that is not saving, that is not genuine. You see, they've forgotten what makes someone a Christian, and they're really, they're living a lie. They're living a lie. Because of that, they're in serious danger. So as we read, Jesus is kind of saying, hey, you, you guys think you're spiritually alive, but... You're actually dead. You're zombies. You're walking dead people. You look like you're alive, but you're not. And in the same way that we find it hard to define millennial, as I, as I said before, the Christians of Sardis are having a tough time truly defining what makes someone a Christian. Worse, they're completely mistaken in their belief systems, and because of that, they're not alive spiritually. They don't have saving faith. They are fake Christians plastic. They look real good on the outside, like plastic fruit. If you try to take a bite of it, it's, right? That's what's going on here. They're zombies. As any good redneck would say, they think they're alive, but they ain't. <laughs> they ain't. So here's what I want to do. First, I want to read the text with you. I'm going to take some time and I'm going to try and explain it and unpack it. So we'll read a little bit. I'll try and paraphrase or put it in words that will hopefully be easier to understand. Then I want to talk a little bit about the, the church at Sardis, the city of Sardis. And then to wrap up, I want to give you some signs or a few characteristics to help you diagnose your own spiritual vitality. To say whether or not you are alive in Jesus or you're still dead in sin. We're going to do that kind of the same way we went through the redneck jokes, right? You might be a redneck if all of your in-laws are outlaws. You might be spiritually dead if, and then I'll give you some signs, okay? So some signs that suggest you're spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive. Sound good? So let's read the text together. Firstly, Revelations 3 verses 1 through 6. Starts out like this. To the angel... Of the church in Sardis, right. So, if you remember back uh, maybe three messages ago, we, we talked about what the angel of the church is. I personally think that Jesus is angel, another interpretation of that word would, would be messenger. So, I think Jesus is saying, hey, to the leader of the church at Sardis, the lead elder, the lead pastor, write him this message. Tell him this, John, write this down. Write this down. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars in his hands. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So Jesus says to the apostle John, John, write this letter to the lead guy at Sardis. Tell them it's from me. It's from Jesus, the one who has all wisdom. That's what the, the sevenfold spirit is talking about. The spirit of God, wisdom and knowledge. 
Tell him, Jesus, the one who knows everything and the one who holds the seven stars. I hold the spark of all of the churches in my hand. I'm sovereign over the church. I'm in control. Tell him it's me. Tell him it's Jesus, the all-knowing one, the all-seeing one, the all-in-control one. I'm writing to them. Tell them this. Tell them this. I see all your deeds. I see your works. I see everything that you're doing. I know that all of the other Christians in the area, all of the other churches in the area, look to you, Sardis, as a model church. When they think about what it means to be a Christian, they look at you, they look at their reputation, and they say, man, we want to be like Sardis. But even though you have a good reputation and you look good on the outside, you're all dead. You're actually not alive. You're pretending. You're playing church. You're not actually in the church. Tell them this, John. Verse 2. Wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. To paraphrase, Jesus says, I've seen your works. I've seen your deeds. I've seen what you've done, and they aren't perfect. They do not stand up before the Father. They're incomplete They aren't acceptable or pleasing before him. This is a huge clue for us. Huge clue. You see, the gospel tells us that no one is saved. No one stands before the Father based on what they do. It doesn't work. That's why Jesus had to come. So when we go before the Father, we stand before him. He says, yeah, none of your works measure up. But because you have believed and depended and trusted and known Jesus... I look at you as if you lived his life, okay? It seems they have forgotten this. It seems they have forgotten this. They've forgotten the gospel. They're trusting in their own works to try and make a good impression before the Father. So Jesus continues, John, tell the churches at Sardis, verse 3, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold fast to it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what time I will come to you. So again, to paraphrase, loved ones, I love you. I died for you. Remember how you received the gospel message at first. Remember what that message is, what you heard at first. Hold fast to that truth. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Remember both what the message is and how you should receive it and respond to it and live in light of the gospel and know this. If you don't return to the gospel, if you don't return to the gospel way of life, then you won't be sensitive to the Spirit. Like a city whose watchmen have fallen asleep, whose people are lulled to sleep through wealth, comfort, and luxury, when I come, you're going to be taken unaware and unprepared because you've not stayed vigilant vigilant, and not guarded your heart and guarded my gospel. Verse 4. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that person or that name before the Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So again, to paraphrase, Jesus is saying, there's still some of, some of you, there's some faithful souls left among you who love me and know me and walk with me. But there's not enough in the church of Sardis for me to commend the whole church. The church as a whole is composed of inauthentic, fake Christians who are just pretending and playing church. But there are still some faithful. See, God always saves a remnant of people. They will continue to walk with Jesus, and Jesus will defend them. He says, I'll protect you. I'll acknowledge you before my Father because you acknowledge me. Listen to these words, he says. They're the words of life that the Spirit speaks to those who will listen and receive them. Okay, that's the text. Now, it's helpful to know a few things about the city of Sardis to understand what Jesus is saying. Sardis was an extremely wealthy area, very prosperous, and very, very protected. Here's a couple pictures that I pulled for you. You can see as the city kind of sprawled out, it grew at the foothills, but Back in the day, this one on the right here, the city was on top of that hill. It had a huge wall on the top of that hill kind of going around it. So because of its location on top of that hill, surrounded by steep cliffs on all sides, Sardis kind of thought they were completely incapable of being overthrown, right? They thought no, nobody is ever going to be able to take us over. It's kind of like Fort Knox. Ain't nobody going to break into Fort Knox, if you contemplate about breaking into Fort Knox, you might be a redneck. You're not getting in. Don't think about it. Right? So Sardis is kind of like Fort Knox. It's incapable of being broken into or taken over. Now, because of this, because of their wealth, because of their self-assured security, the people of Sardis really grew complacent, even arrogant, even arrogant. And they didn't guard their city. You can probably imagine where this is going. Cyrus the Great, he's the commander of the Persian army. He decides he wants Sardis. It's a strategic area on the king's road, tons of wealth there. So what does he do? Well, he has his soldiers climb the wall, climb the cliffs. You think, how in the world would that happen? That would take a long time for somebody to climb all those cliffs, especially an army. Yeah, you're right. But that's what they did. That means that the people of Sardis were so assured of their security, so confident they didn't even put a child as a lookout over their walls. So one night, Cyrus and all his men climb the cliffs, and the Sardinians wake up, and they're no longer a free people. They're enslaved, taken over by the king of Persia. So this happened in the past. This is the history of Sardis by the time that this is being written, several hundred years before that. And after Cyrus took over, Sardis was never a free city ever again. They were always under the control of someone else. So everybody knew this. Everybody knew this, and Jesus capitalizes on this history, and he uses it as a teaching point for the church. He sees that this church has become so lazy in their fight for faith, so self-assured and, and, self -assured and, and resting on their past laurels, their past work. They're so secure in their reputation as being good Christians that they actually lose the gospel. They lose that, the message that we trust in Christ, not our works, and that's how we're saved. They're dead. They're pretending to be alive. They look the part, but they don't know Jesus, and he doesn't know them. Now, you'll notice there's something missing in this letter. If you read all the le other letters, there's a lot of persecution going on. 
Sardis doesn't have any persecution going on. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, simply, I don't think you shoot at dead men, right? Why waste a bullet? Why waste a bullet? They're already dead. Why would you waste resources on, on trying to conquer dead people? Satan is not a dummy. He's not a dummy. These people have left the gospel message, and therefore, even though they claim to be Christians, they look like it on the outside. They have the whole world fooled. Satan knows they're not. So why would I mess with them? Why would I make them start thinking about whether or not they actually believe the gospel or trust in Jesus? Why would I challenge them at all? They're comfortable. They're comfortable in what they believe. It's wrong. We're just going to let it go. They're spiritually dead. I realize this is pretty serious. Being spiritually dead is very serious. And thankfully, as I was preparing this message, I thought, you know what? This is a hard message. But I don't think Crossroads as a whole probably needs to hear this. I think as a whole, Crossroads is composed of very genuine believers. And yet, and yet, there may be a few people in here who think that when they die, they're going to heaven. But if you ask them, why is that? They might give you a bunch of responses that would not be the gospel. If you die today, why would you be there? Well, I like to think I'm a good person. I'm better than my neighbor down the street. Yeah, Jesus, he wiped away my past and, and kind of set the slate clean, but now I got to try really hard, and hopefully after he kind of sw- wiped that slate cre- clean, now that I'm, I'm starting at zero, now I can hopefully make up the difference. There might be a few people in here who are saying, yeah, what's wrong with that? Oh, loved one, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And so as a, as a pastor and a teacher of the word, I want to try and do my part and make sure that we are very, very clear on what it takes to know Jesus, to love Jesus, so that when you get up there before God, you say, why? Well, he says, why should I let you in? He said, well, I know Jesus. I know he died for me. You shouldn't. I'm a terrible person. I did this, that, and the other thing, but Jesus, he paid for all of that. He paid for all of that, okay? So, I want to I wanna try and do my part here for the person who might be asleep, who might, who might not even be aware of it and say, wake up, wake up, come back, come back. See, the encouraged part of this message is it doesn't matter how dead you are or how long you've been dead. We serve and love a God who when he says wake up, doesn't matter where you are, how far along you've gone, how long you've been sleeping, you can wake up. So that's the hope. Doesn't matter where you are, Right now, it's where I want you to be, hopefully after this message. I want you to be alive and awake spiritually, okay? So to do that, I'm going to give you some signs. You might be a redneck if. You might be spiritually dead. You might be a walking zombie spiritually if these things characterize your life. So it's always good as a Christian to guard our hearts and to get, to get reflective. So I don't care where you're at in your faith journey, this will be beneficial, okay? To, to look at your life and say, man, I kind of, I need to be aware of this. This isn't the gospel. This isn't what Jesus died for, okay? And then we practice repentance, turning back. I'm not believing right here, Lord. Correct my belief system. I'm not thinking right here. I want to think better. Change my thoughts. I'm not behaving right here, Lord. Fix that, okay? So this is, a, this is a beneficial thing for all of us to do, regardless of whether you're asleep or whether you're alive. It will hopefully be beneficial for everyone. So, some signs that you might be a zombie. You might be spiritually dead if 
you tune first and only to anyone or anything but God to vent and solve your problems, okay? Something bad happens in your relationship, in your work environment, and your instant gut response is to call somebody, to text somebody, to get on social media, and I don't know, do what, but just spew everything out into the vapor of the technology world, right? I don't know what sometimes we're thinking when we jump on there, but you might be spiritually dead if you only ever turn to social media, turn to a friend, turn to Google, right? How do I fix my marriage? YouTube video. If you only ever turn to something else rather than God. Listen to this. Listen. The God of the universe, who has all power and authority, made a way for you to have a relationship with him. For you to know him and be known intimately. Because of Jesus, you can literally, the Bible says, walk into the presence of God, into the throne room of God. Jesus is standing at the gate like a bouncer, and you come up, you're like, hey, I'm a VIP, and Jesus is like, yep, let him through. I know, I know that, yep, he's good, let him in, right? You can go before the throne room of God and tell him anything you want, your need, anytime, anytime. You can be heard by the one who knows all things, created the whole world that we live in and love, is all-powerful. You can be heard by Him, and He will go to work on your behalf because of what the Spirit of God and Christ has done. Why wouldn't you turn to Him first? I'm not saying you can't get on Facebook or talk to friends. Sometimes that's helpful. There are books out there, and certainly Google is helpful. Absolutely. But if you only ever turn to those things and never turn to God, you might not know the Lord. How can you know the all-powerful, all-creating, all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-in-control God and never talk to Him, especially about the problems in your life? If you only ever turn to someone else and never vent to God or pray to Him or ask Him to help you with your problems, you might be a zombie. Here's another sign that you might be spiritually dead. You might be spiritually dead if your mood swings dramatically based on your circumstances or whether or not you felt productive for the day. Listen to this. Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, it is finished. So whether you felt like you had a bad day or a productive day, that has no bearing on your worth as an individual. If you regularly feel like a failure because you don't perform to your standards, someone else's standards, or even God's standards, you might be a zombie. You might be spiritually dead. Church, you are so loved in Christ. You aren't a failure. You're not. It doesn't matter if you performed well or didn't perform well. You're not a failure because when God looks at you, He sees what Christ has done on your behalf. So you can rest in that finished work. Your productivity or lack of it does not detract from your worth and value before God. Living as if it did is soul crushing. It's a terrible way to live. 
I pray that you would know the rest of living in the finished work of Christ. That you would know the rock-steady joy of building your life on what he has said and done. Another sign. If you consistently and repeatedly justify your actions with the phrases, well, it's just the way I am, or that's just my personality, or this one, I was born this way you might be spiritually dead. You know what the Bible says about all of this? We're all born this way. We are born into sin. Yes and amen. Our natural desires, our personalities, our default settings are warped, they are broken, and they are sinful. And that is why Jesus says we need to be born again. Because we were all born this way. We need to be born again. Our genetics, our parents' ability to parent, or lack of parenting, the government's failures, our lack of education, none of it is an excuse to live lives of sin. And if you consistently resign yourself to the status quo and make excuses for sin in your life, you might be spiritually dead. We need to own our sins and not celebrate them but acknowledge that we're broken people, that we don't measure up. And we need to receive the love of Jesus. Embrace the fact that you have an issue so that Jesus, the great physician, can heal your heart. Acknowledging our brokenness, our sickness, our need before God is precisely what he wants us to do. God, I can't. You can. And in my natural state, I really want to do this. I know I shouldn't. I can't, even, I can't even get myself to do the right thing, let alone want to do the right thing. Will you help me? Right? Another sign of spiritual death. If you don't recognize sin in your life and or are really good at spotting sin in other people's lives, right? You might be spiritually dead. Some people, especially fake Christians, and sometimes immature Christians, okay? Sometimes they're really good at finding faults in others, but not finding it in themselves, right? They love pointing the finger. They don't realize that when you point a finger, there's three pointing back at yourself. My spouse is the worst. She does this or doesn't do that. If he would just do this thing or do that thing, if, if they would just change, they would get their act together, then I would be happy and our marriage would be great. I love you, and I understand it takes two to tango, absolutely. I'm convinced that your spouse is probably at least half of the problem. <laughs> you're the other half. I love you, but that's true, okay? If you're able to spot sin in everyone else's life, but not yourself, you might be spiritually dead. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. When you got married, two sinful people said, I do. I'm sure your spouse has issues, but the gospel, if it tells us anything, it tells us this, that your problem is not your spouse. In general, whether you're married or not, your problem is not outside of you. It's not. It's not out there. It's not the government or the school system or our culture or Hollywood. It's not the drug dealer down the street. No, your problem is not outside of you. Your problem is inside of you. 
It's inside of you. You have a broken and wicked heart. Now, you might not be as bad as you could be. I hear that. I'm not saying that. The problem is not outside of you. The problem is your own sin. You deal with that, with Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, and you will be prepared to love your spouse even when they don't deserve it because Jesus loves you even when you don't deserve it. You'll also be prepared to love your neighbor regardless of how well they respond, okay? Another sign. If you have no hope, you might be spiritually dead. As I'm going through this, the reverse is also true. So if you're saying, no, I have this, then that's a good indication that you're alive. If you have no hope, you might be spiritually dead. Some situations are really, really difficult. I get that. I do. I've lived life. I haven't had terrible, the worst things happen to me, but I've had bad things happen. I get it. Sometimes this world brings a hammer down and everything seems lost. There's no way out. There's no way forward. There's no way to fix what got broken. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. If you believe in this book, if you put your life on this book, you believe in a God of miracles, okay? You believe in a God who walks on water, who gives sight to the blind, who makes limbs grow back, who heals incurable diseases like cancer and leprosy. You believe in a God who is even able to take terrible and horrific things and work them out for your good. You serve and love a God who can bring dead people back to life, right? That's who you serve. That's who you serve. So it doesn't matter how bad your marriage is right now, and it might be bad, okay? It doesn't matter how how bad your marriage is right now, how deep your depression is, how lonely your singleness feels, how broken the system is that you're fighting. It doesn't matter. There is hope. There is hope. In Jesus, there is always hope. Because of Jesus, there is always hope. If you don't have hope, or worse, Caleb shared a psalm about a guy who we look up to, David, right? He's in a dark place. He seems hopeless. He doesn't have much hope, but he's willing to fight for it. Okay? If you don't have hope, all right, we can work with that. But if you're not even willing to fight for it anymore, you might be spiritually dead. If you don't feel the need to forgive, you might be spiritually dead. If Christ's work has not so moved you to offer forgiveness to even, to, even to the worst of offenses that have been done among you, you may not have truly received what Christ did for you. You might be spiritually dead. See, Christ's love compels us, the Bible says. It compels us to as much as it depends on us, be at peace with all men. Such a life-giving verse. You can't control how other people respond to you, but as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. An unforgiving heart is a dead or dying heart spiritually. And lastly, if thinking about the work of Christ causes no emotion in your soul, you might be spiritually dead. If the work and person of Christ doesn't stir any passion or any love in your heart, you might not know Jesus. Say, how can I say that? Emotion is a fickle thing, right? How can I say that? I get it. Loving Jesus looks differently than loving a friend or loving a spouse because Jesus is ruling and reigning up in heaven and the Bible says we live by faith. 
So it's not the same. I can't talk to Jesus like I would talk to you. I can't touch Jesus like I would touch my wife, okay? I get that. I get that. But if thinking about what Christ has done doesn't stir you at all, you might not know him. You say, how how can you say that? Because Jesus is awesome. He is awesome. He's so awesome. He is the most kind, most loving, most compassionate, most truthful person I know. He is so gracious and good, so comforting. When all else feels lost and my wife can't comfort me, I find comfort in the Holy Spirit. I talk to him, I vent to him, and he gives me peace that doesn't make sense. He is the most wise and powerful, honest person I know. He's the best person I know. He gave his life for mine. Church, I'm a 30-something relative no-name, right? In the grand scheme of things, nobody knows Levi Stuckey. I live in a flyover state, you know? Okay, I'm a 30-something no-name. I'm a recovering porn addict. I'm often overly harsh with my wife and children. I'm quick-tempered. I'm pretty selfish. I'm pretty arrogant. I'm pretty proud. Jesus knew all of that. He said, no, I still love him. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to experience physical torment, whipping, lashing, nailed to a cross. I'm going to take that on and... I'm going to take the eternal wrath of God on as well because I love Jesus or because I love Levi. Who does that? Who would do something like that? I don't have any other person in my life who would do that for me other than Jesus. I hope my wife is in heaven when I get there. I hope my dad is up there. He passed away when I was eight. I hope all of y'all are up there. I hope everyone that I love here is up there. But if I'm honest with you, I really just want to see Jesus. Right? I'm tired of the whole living by faith thing. I want to talk to him. I got a lot of questions for him. So many questions. But mostly I just want to see him. I want to see him. I want to be with him. I long for that day. I am excited for that day. See, if thinking about Jesus and what he has done for you doesn't stir any love or any excitement or anything in your heart towards him, it is hard to believe that you have met him because he's so awesome. He is so incredibly awesome. He is the type of guy that if you meet, you want him in your life, you don't ever want him out of your life. And this is the point. As I work through this list, I'm sure many of you probably started to feel a little bit uneasy in your faith. That was not my intent, right? I'm sure some of you recognize some of these traits or habits in your life to a certain degree. You're wondering, am I spiritually dead? Am I faking this faith thing? Do I really know and love Jesus, firstly? Loved one? I keep saying that, and it's because you are loved. God loves you, loved one. If you are asking these questions, if you are at all concerned about this, chances are you're alive. Dead men don't ask questions. Zombies don't ask whether they're alive. They just go through the motions. They check their religious boxes, okay? If you are concerned with being spiritually alive, moved in your spirit to do some self-reflection, that is a good indication that you have the Spirit of Jesus working in your heart. That you're alive. That you're alive. 
This is a sobering message. I know. It's heavy. I thought a lot about how to conclude this message, and honestly, I don't know going into it. I'm still not 100% sure. I guess I'll just, I'll just leave you with this. If you at all are, in, are concerned, you think, maybe I'm not alive. Maybe I've been missing this boat. Come talk to me or Wes. Come talk to one of our elders. Let us pray with you. There's so much to unpack about the gospel that I just can't do in the zero minutes, minutes I have remaining. If, you, if you're concerned, let us pray with you. Come up here afterwards. We'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. Know this. It's never too late to be remade. It's never too late to be reborn. You are never too far gone. Okay? The perfect prayer to pray for the one who thinks they might be asleep or is dead is, God, wake me up. He's the only one who can. And he will if you cry out to him. Let's pray. The man can come up. Father, it's never a fun thing to think about hell, to think about eternity. Um, it's never a fun thing to, to think that we might be faking it, that we might be missing it, that we might be inauthentic in the faith. Thanks for being gracious with us. Thanks for being patient and kind. Thank you for the gospel, Lord. May we truly receive it. May we never forget it's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ has done. May we receive that, Lord. May we remember that. And when we fail, maybe we turn back to that. Help us repent. Thank you for the verse that you gave us in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. We're dependent upon you even to believe, Lord. And I don't get how all of that works. But thank you for standing outside the grave for all of us dead people, just like Lazarus. He was dead. He couldn't do anything to wake himself up. You stood outside that grave and you cried out, Lazarus, come out, wake up. You didn't just say that, Lord. You also empowered him to get up. Would you do that work in our hearts? Would you stand outside of the grave that we're buried in of our sin? Would you stand outside and call to us Open our ears to hear your voice. Help us wake up. Empower us to live alive. We love you. We want to love you more. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.